Hello, TGT11 fans. It is uh, me, Nathan Bell. I wanted to make this brief announcement before the podcast to let you all know that Greg and I did not record a new podcast this week. However, we dove into the archives to pull out one that we did with Scotty Smith on Everyday Prayer. And we, Greg and I had decided that this would be a good one to kind of start our next series on uh, the grace the importance of grace in the gospel and what that looks like and what that means. So we hope you enjoy this episode and we look forward to bringing you a live one when we come back next week. Welcome to a new episode of These Go to 11. Let's turn it up. Hey everybody, welcome back to These Go to 11, an unchurchy conversation about everyday faith. Please make sure you like, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast platform. This not only helps us to get our content out there, but also helps us to find out what you, our faithful listeners, think. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Greg Dutcher sitting across from me. Greg, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, man. Doing great. I'm excited because you know it's got to be an awesome guest because my little seven-year-old, Ella, has her first softball game tonight. <laughs> it, it, and at seven, it's not really a softball game. It's, <laughs> it's a, kind of a, a dress-up night. <laughs> Where they wear uh, cute uniforms and hold bats and literally, literally one of the girls at practice this weekend, I kid you not, it was the cutest thing I've ever seen. She gets up to the plate and she turns and faces the backstop (laughs) and the coach, they told her to turn around and she turned around 360 (laughs) like she's spinning or something. It's the cutest thing ever to watch these kids do this, this little clinic thing, but uh, she's got like 30 games. So Lisa right. said, "No, no, you, you've got a really cool <laughs> guest tonight. Rock and roll with that." So I was going to say, Lisa's been uh, been texting you some of the highlights, and one of the things you were telling me is Lisa's looking out in the field and sees one of the kids with the glove on the wrong hand, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and the coach is put the glove on the other hand, honey, put the, as if any balls are going to get to the outfield. You know what I mean? So uh, it's it's so cute, man. It's just I love that age when they start doing the sports thing. Yep. And I mean, I don't quite get maybe when they're 11, 12, 13, they <laughs> sure. develop how any parent could ever get upset unless their kid was hurt. You know, right, there's right. nothing that happens that is earth shattering other than just it's fun and to enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, I, I might chuckle a couple times tonight, <laughs> hopefully at not ill placed times. Right, right. <laughs> picture texture, but doing great. Excellent. Um, Greg, I'm going to turn it over. We're actually going to kind of roll right ahead. I want to turn it over to you real quick just to say a few words about our sponsor this evening. Yeah, absolutely. Olive Tree Software uh, has partnered with us. Um, and that's been really, really, really exciting. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like I've got a, a sponsor uh, that makes uh, Hungarian hand basket weaving products. <laughs> and, and I have, and, yeah, I got to pretend like, Hey, yeah, this is awesome. Right. Um, you know, I, I, uh, it's sort of like when you have to write an endorsement letter, you've had this Nathan, I'm sure as I have as yeah. a teacher for a student that might be a great kid, but it's right. off the charts. <laughs> You're like, how do I not lie, but write in such a winsome way that I can speak the truth. I don't have to do any of that with olive tree, yeah. olive tree, tremendous products. They're adding 
things to their catalog all the time. Mm-hmm. They gave you and me a bunch of great stuff. Yep. I mean, Calvin's commentaries and just maps and study notes and resources. There's Lisa texting me now. Um, <laughs> and it is um, just a really, really great product uh, you can use on your smartphone, your yep. tablet, your, your iPad, your computer. And it allows you to build a library, uh, a library piece at a time. Yeah. yeah, most of us can't go out and drop several hundred dollars uh, on one fell swoop on everything we ever get. So you you buy it, you you keep it, you keep it for life, you keep going back to it. Um, so they've got some tremendous resources. They're adding new books all the time, uh, new resources. They've given us a new coupon code uh, because they wanted it to be a little cleaner. I was getting confused with another coupon code. It was something, and now it's called Sustain Eleven. Okay. From the movie, hear that sustain, sustain, S U S T A I N, the number one one. You enter that code in a promo code box online, you get twenty percent off of, of anything they're selling. So uh, just use that, check it out, and um, you know, get yourself some great products. And uh, we're we're glad to partner with them. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and we want to let everyone know that we um, have not forgot about our winners from last week from yep. Marcy Preheim. We are just going to make that announcement at the end of this podcast when we make the announcement for the uh, new contest that we have for our new author that we have on. Yes. Um, so without further ado, we want to introduce um, pastor and author Scotty Smith, founding pastor of Christ Community Church in Franklin, Tennessee served for over 25 years there as the senior pastor, um, authored many books, but the one we're going to be talking about specifically tonight, and we'll be giving away two copies of that again at the end, uh, Everyday Prayers. Um, pastor Scotty, how are you doing today? Hey, it is great to be with you guys, and believe it or not, as we chat, I am grilling chicken, so we are multitasking. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, man. You're I can making al- me hungry. I was going to say, I can almost smell it from here. Yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. But no, it's it's awesome to hang out with you guys today and just uh, blast our hearts with some of God's outrageous grace. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. Scott, I, I just got to ask what kind of chicken, because you're saying that Nathan and I just ate, but I'm still hungry. So, um, <laughs> I mean, you, you got boneless chicken, you got... Bonus on the grill. Got the oh. grill marks happening. Got the you know just kind kind of got the aesthetic thing going too. So we not only have a you know good temperature, we got some uh, got some checkerboard grilling marks here that I'll be pulling off in a minute. But oh. I want you to know I am so focused on this conversation because I've been looking forward just to, just to hanging out and uh, seeing where uh, Lord might take our visit. Absolutely. That sounds great. Um, Pastor Scotty, just uh, tell our listeners a little uh, bit about yourself. I gave you a brief bio and introduction there, but um, tell us about, uh, you know, something, some personal things about yourself, friends, family. Yeah, and and I'll be brief and hopefully focused. Um, Yeah, I guess the main thing I would say, just given even the, you know, context of our visit here is I've had a unique spiritual journey, grew up in... uh, great state of North Carolina, that's where this accent comes from, and uh, like a lot of people, grew up uh, going to church long before that made any sense to me, and I had a Mm. friend that was, came to Christ as a senior in high school while I was playing keyboards in a rhythm and blues band, and he uh, took me to an event, actually one of the first Billy Graham movies, if you can imagine that, uh, through bad haircuts, bad music, bad script, bad bad cinematography, Uh, Dr. Graham shared the gospel, and that's where I first entered um, a life of grace that was going to be a long, long journey in the same direction, I never 
never imagined I'd be a pastor, never imagined I'd ever go to seminary, but as God writes our stories through our brokenness for the benefit of others, ended up uh, in his hands and story, and uh, my goodness, here many years later, um, I have uh, been living with my wonderful wife and two adult kids and two grandsons and one in the oven uh, here in <laughs> nice. Tennessee, um, and uh, went from youth pastor into planning a church through the wonderful emphasis or direction of my spiritual father, 21 years, a man named Jack Miller, who uh, was a professor of mine at Westminster Seminary and uh, had a radical uh, gospel renewal season in his life as both a church planner and a seminary professor, and got, got to watch literally a man foaming at the mouth of grace to wow. really lead me into, you know, the belief I have today that there's nothing more than the gospel, there's just more of the gospel. So um, pushing my 67th birthday, I feel like I'm just in the early stages of discovery mode of just how good the gospel actually is. Wow. That's so great. Now you mentioned, um, you know, your, your life as a pastor, um, you pastored in one place for over 25 years, mm. which, uh, is, is rather unusual for, uh, particularly for pastors and churches today. What gave you your staying power and what yeah, lessons thanks. did you well, learn in um, that? You know, there's something unique about planning a church. When you plan a church, especially like me, when you, when I got to do it with such good friends, who were um, living in discovery mode. A lot of us came out of very legalist backgrounds or cynical backgrounds. Uh, I'm an aging baby boomer, so <laughs> I had my cynicism by right being a child of the 60s. But, you know, it was just there was such a hunger in um, Middle Tennessee for a church that would uh, really begin to take seriously the theology of grace and build a worship culture that would enable people to linger in that. And mm. so to watch a church go from five couples to 4,000 people in about seven or eight years, wow. not because of any strategic planning or any gifts I have, because I was pretty dang clueless, <laughs> but just to see the gospel take hold, um, you know, that's been amazing. So the power, you know, it has been all about, you know, discovering um, that the gospel of God's grace gives us a power and a reality that legalism, moralism, Southern religion or any kind of religion just cannot generate. And mm. so I, I can, you know, without sounding cliche-ish, it's just been the, the lyric, music, and dance of the gospel that has really given us in our story, you know, um, all, you know, all, every answer to why any good thing happened. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, if, if I can just jump in here, Scotty, I, uh, you've mentioned uh, already uh, something I was going to ask you about, or someone I should say, and that's uh, that's Jack Miller. Uh, I had yeah. never heard of him until I was in my first year at seminary. Uh, I was at a little school, biblical theological seminary. In, oh, yeah, you know, Oh, yes, yes, you know, kind of a stone's throw from Westminster, really. That's right. And one of our adjunct profs uh, I was talking to one time, I had some questions about obedience and grace, things to this day, all these years later, that I uh, am always thinking about and wanting, um, you know, like you and, and having read you and heard you for many years, Scotty, uh, to say, wow, Lord, help me, help me pastor in that grace with an authentic stamp of grace on our church culture. And I, uh, Jack Miller is the book he gave me. And I, I think they might've reissued it. Am I right on the title? I think it was 
repentance in the 20th century man? Yes. Yeah, they really did it. Yeah. Repentance in 21st century man. Because That's right. Kind of a timeless book, but that, you know, you're right. I mean, and that really, as with all of the things that Jack wrote, they were a reflection of his own journey. So, yeah, well, t- tell me more. I'm, you know, let me, I'm all ears now. Oh, no, no. Well, I just, I read it and it was. It, it stood out to me. I mean, it really stood yeah. out. I had read some great stuff uh, when I was in college. I'd been a believer just a few years by then. One of the most uh, foundational books I've been given was like uh, Packers Knowing God. And but wow, yeah, I, with I, me. I never knew the gospel had this much depth, you know, and, and you're learning right. these great things. And But there was something about that little book uh, yeah. by Jack Miller that I could never, ever get out of my head. I'm actually yeah. surprised, Scotty, that He's not, and I know we're not about, you know, names and celebrities and the celebrity culture, but just more of a well-known teacher resource. And um, I don't know if that's maybe where he was, where he ministered to, the volume of things he wrote or or perhaps didn't write. But uh, it's so refreshing for me, and I have no surprise at all to hear you talk about Jack Miller. And I'd read before that he impacted you greatly. Could you tell us a little more just about him his unique yes. contribution to your thinking, his impact on your life? Absolutely. Yeah, the influence of Jack Miller in my life. Well, how I first met Jack was after I finally felt freedom to go to seminary, went to Westminster Seminary, and uh, I got my card assigning me to my advisor, and I saw this name, C. John Miller, and I was a little disappointed because I was holding out for a Cuneus Van Till or a Richard <laughs> Gaffin or a Yo. Ray Dillard, someone I knew, yeah. but Oh, my goodness, when I first met Jack, uh, all that disappointment uh, was flushed away quickly. So I met this five-five uh, little guy, kind of became gospel Yoda in my life. He opened up <laughs> the door to his office in Machen Hall at Westminster. I reached out my hand to uh, greet him, and he undercut me and pulled, pulled his arms around me and pulled me into his heart and did not let go for 21 years. Wow. So I met Jack about three years into his own personal gospel renewal that was born out of uh, really seeing the depth of his self-righteousness, the coldness of his heart compared to the promises of God that he had encountered in Spain. So, oh my goodness, to have him in my class, in my seminary education, and then after I graduated from seminary to have him so formative and uh taking me around the world with him as the gospel was going deeper into his heart and as he took more of us into uh, the, the reach of God's story. So I'm a rich man for no reason uh, to have had Jack Miller and his wife, Rose Marie, as spiritual parents for 21 years. Wow. Wow. No, thank you for letting us know about him, Scotty, because I've mentioned him. And again, I, I meet somebody from time to time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew of... I knew of Jack Miller. I knew of his book. I knew of his work. But he was the first one to me, uh, again, as I said, I read some great stuff, heard some great stuff, that that kind of lit a fire on this grace-based, more than just a theology, uh, you're right, where it's academically ordered. And that is such a signature part of your ministry, Scotty, that that really, really stands out. Um, So I'll put you on the spot with this one. From time to time, and I bet you've heard this, because I think most uh, preachers that emphasize grace do, um, and I'd love, I, particularly for our listeners, occasionally we'll get questions that will say, hey, how do I celebrate grace without slipping into you know, antinomianism or 
some right. sort of just fire insurance thing. And, and we hear that a lot. Um, sometimes not as charitably, but I'm curious what you think. What, and that's, that used to really bug me, but the truth is, when you think of any of God's good gifts, there's three responses we can offer to any of God's gifts. There is um, the right use, there is the wrong use, and there is the disuse, meaning this. Uh, can grace be distorted? Of course, look at the book of Jude. We've got a whole little letter written by one of Jesus' half-brothers that's talking about some guys that crept into the congregations he was concerned about who had turned or distorted the grace of our Lord into license for immorality. Mm-hmm. But the problem is not with grace, but with a disuse of grace. And yes. then we can overreact to those who are disusers of grace or abusers of grace, and we can disuse it. We can say, I want nothing to do with grace, theology of grace, because we know that's going to just lead you into antinomianism. As opposed to saying, really, let's listen to the Scripture and look at the right use of God's grace, which really, you know, that's even the wrong language, because the more we study Scripture, the more we realize grace is the person and the work of Jesus. If when I say the word gospel, I I mean anything more or other than the person and the work of Jesus, then I have uh, objectified something that really is personified in the person. So, yes, yes, grace can be abused. And uh, just as the law can be abused, and uh, a lot of a lot of good gifts can be abused. Well, well said, Scott. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I knew uh, we get asked that from time to time. That's probably worth asking. Uh, to shift a little bit, I was actually going to ask this first, and then you mentioned um, uh, Jack Miller, which I'm so glad you did. But I, um, when I first heard of you, Scotty, I'm just going to tell you, I heard of you in a very celebrity-oriented context. That I heard you were the pastor of famous people. Um, there you, uh, there, that'll go on your calling card. Put that on your T-shirt and sunglasses. Yeah, pastor to the stars. Pastor of the stars, right? Because where you're located down there, in the heart of obviously the gospel music uh, capital, yeah. uh, it's just natural. But uh, and I don't know if all this is true. These are the names I've heard of of people that you've served and preached to: uh, Michael Card, Stephen Curtis Chapman. I know because you 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 wrote a wonderful book with him. Uh, Michael W. Smith, is that is that right? Were they all at some point or another? Yeah, and let me give you the background there, because that, that's really a kind of a neat part of our story. So when I was, uh, I used to be a youth pastor years ago, even back in North Carolina before I came over here. And so uh, because music is a part of my past, I used to, in the early days of contemporary Christian music, bring in some uh, traveling concerts in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where I live, just as an outreach to the community. So Mm -hmm. I had a heart for music and the arts had been such a big part of my story. And uh, what I never intended when I moved to Nashville that I was going to be the musician's pastor. Uh, (laughs) It just so happened that in Providence, I started, you know, walking with some of these people. And like when, uh, in fact, a small group out of which Christ Community was born was... uh, Let's see, of the five couples, three of them were in vocational arts. And so it kind of set in play a DNA, coupled with the fact that the first year we planted Christ Community, there was no place in Franklin we could meet. So we had to meet at our mother church, Christ Presbyterian Church, a church I also helped organize. We had to meet on Sunday afternoons from 3 30 to 6. Wow. Those are musicians' hours. Yeah, right. It's just interesting this. you know, already a core of people in our core group that were in the arts, and all of a sudden, 
uh, traveling musicians say, you know, I can do Sunday afternoon church. And so we, you know, we mm-hmm. grew in God's providence, absolutely. I mean, a, an enormous array of men and women from contemporary Christian music, but mainstream arts, publishing, writing, songwriting, but, but also other parts of the culture. It came together, and uh, yeah, it's been my joy to walk with a lot of really amazing people like those you mentioned, and to see so many of them live a far more missional life than ever. You look at a guy like Stephen Curtis Chapman that I've walked with for 30 years, and to see how his whole family, marked by tragedy, has Mm -hmm. really been defined by a mission to orphan care, which is pretty dang incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you mentioned Stephen Curtis Chapman and the tragedy. I remember um, hearing about that in the news, uh, you know, many years ago when it happened. Um, and it's clear that that in your um, particular message, in your ministry, you, you deal a lot with human brokenness. Can you kind of yeah. elaborate on that and tell us why that's so yeah, important? Yeah, the reason why I got into human brokenness is because I'm such a broken human. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, mean, I can relate to that. Laugh, but, uh, see, here's the deal. When I first became a Christian, uh, the guilt, the centrality of guilt was taken care of. I mean, I really did believe early on as a young believer that the cross exhausted God's judgment against my sin. Mm. But what I would only discover, discover later was that um, guilt and shame are not the same thing. And I was carrying a couple of deep heart wounds in my story that um, I'd never attended to, um, one being the death of my mom in a head-on car crash when I was 11, and three years prior to mm. that, a, a chapter in childhood sexual abuse. And, and, and kind of my early spirituality, it would be customary to put a Romans 8:28 Band-Aid on a big wound and just kind of, you know, uh, through denial or through uh, gab it and grab it, name it and claim it, just say that didn't really, that's gone away. I'm in Christ, everything's new. But fortunately, in God's timing, I really began to realize that um, that Jesus isn't just preparing us to go to heaven. He's preparing us for life now, mm-hmm. and that, um, that we are all, um, that the gospel confronts the repentable parts of my life, but also the repairable parts. Mm-hmm. And so I had heart wounds that even made it easier for me to build certain idols of the heart to medicate my pain. And so in God's goodness and time, I just started seeing depths of my brokenness uh, for which Jesus alone was sufficient and fortunately a lot of that discovery mode was going on as a church planter so we planted a church where uh you know brokenness and weakness uh, were a central part of what it meant to know the welcoming heart of god and so we you know became a place where uh, people with all kinds of uh, faith issues or heart issues or struggles addictions etc they would know i can go and I can go there and hear the gospel and not just get a bunch of formulas or or a group of people looking at me to grow up and get over it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, by God's grace, I've been able to see my brokenness and walk with a lot of people into the riches of God's grace that attend to that brokenness. Mm. I, I, I'm wondering if you could um, probably answer a question that I, I bet you've been asked a lot, Scotty. I, I think all pastors are. I um, have had so many people... And I can tell they're they're very deeply conflicted. They hear of a tragic loss, uh, somebody's just yeah. passed, and it might be a viewing, a funeral. It might be an opportunity to see the the widow or the widower who's been um, you know left behind. And uh, I people tell me so many times, Greg, I I didn't go or because I didn't know what I should say. 
Um, right. And I, I've right. seen so many people struggle with that. I'd love to get your thoughts and advice for people that are saying, I, I want to reach out, but I, I don't think I would have the right words. What What would you say to people well, that are struggling? Thank you. Because uh, I've had to, what you're talking about is what I've had to learn in my own marriage. As mm. uh, my wife has had uh, great loss, uh, marked like me early in life with some real trauma, trauma tragedy, but you know, a clueless husband thinks marriage is about fixing his wife. So yes. God's been very gracious <laughs> and helping me learn to honor my wife's grief by starting to honor my own grief. So, yeah, Christianity, fortunately, is not just an answer box, you know. And I think we usually think when we're in the presence of people's struggles or grief or loss, what do I say? When really, the more difficult or gospel shape thing is just offering presence. You know, God gave us two ears and one mouth and yeah. something about the ratio between listening and speaking. <laughs> we got to yeah. regain. So uh, being present, listening, um, I know the people that have met me in my pain are those that have offered more tears than words. And, uh, you know, words are important, but, um, you know, I would, uh, you know, I would hope that we would all learn that the greatest gift we give people that are in that place of betrayal and loss is not promises, it's not hype, it's hope, hope born out of, I want to see her with you, and yeah. uh, I can't imagine what it feels like to be you right now, but I'm just going to be here, pray, and love, and you tell me, how can I serve you? So, mm. yeah, let's let's get over the notion that as Christians, first thing we're supposed to do is give her a chapter and verse and a little pep talk. Yes, yes. I, I Thank you, Scotty. That's uh, actually affirming, because I, I would say in my younger years as a pastor, I felt such pressure even with some good, you know, pastoral methods class and seminaries and all and, and all those sort of things, to okay, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? You're so focused right. on speaking, and I don't know who I heard say this years ago. You may have even said this. You can tell me, but I heard somebody say, you know, Job's friends, the best thing they did was the first seven days where they sat there and mourned with him, and yeah. and then then they started talking. <laughs> yeah. right. they, they got a little tricked. I know, exactly. Off. Well, for me, just very quickly, no time for the whole narrative, but when I really through a, a burnout in ministry, I've been so stubborn, was running so much, but when I finally, uh, pretty much emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, just hit a wall at a time when our church was rocking and rolling, um, uh, I came to that point of really realizing I had not been back to my mom's grave in the 39 years she'd been dead and just so much of the backwash. I went to my best friend who was on our staff at that time, his office, Scott Rowley, where just happened to be that day. Mike Card was in there as well. And I see these two guys and share this profound sense of loss. And they say nothing as I lean over in a chair and I just feel on the back of, back of my neck tears from both of my brothers just wow. not giving me words but literally giving me their tears. And uh, I think that heart water, as Spurgeon would say, was really uh, mm. one of the biggest um, – Gospel WD-40s lubricating, you know, my rusty heart and wow. getting me to the point of beginning to not only go back to my mom's grave, but go deeper into the heart of God that um, alone can heal those places. Wow. Well, Scotty, you're, you're sort of, uh, you're leading me on here. There's so many things I want to ask you, but uh, even the way you describe that experience, I'm just going to be as real with you as I know how. Um we, we come out of similar traditions. Uh, I, I would say we could safely say the, the Reformed tradition. Mm -hmm. um, when, when I hear you, your name, 
and I don't mean to say this to disparage any other names, but I, I'll hear certain names and I think Reformed maybe first because of a theological distinction, etc. I know that we share that background. When I hear your name, I want to tell you what comes to mind. I actually wrote these down today. I was thinking about them. I think grace lover, gospel addict, and then at some point later, I think, oh, yeah, that dude's reformed. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, he's ordained in the PCA. Right, right. right. Here, but he has a little different nuance than yes. some guys in that world. Yes, and I, I'm wondering, and I, the last thing I want you to do, and I know it's not your heart. I've, I've heard you preach so many times just sure. to trash or, or say anything disparaging of anyone, and I, I know that's not your heart at all, but, um, I mean, what? talk to me about that. What is that? Scotty, that that well, that I think you stand what that out. Is, is it's kind of what looking back when I was sitting in some of these incredible lectures at Westminster Seminary, which of course has been one of the wonderful arenas of uh, articulating and defending the Reformed faith. I think um, my heart was so primed to begin to move from my head to my heart. I'd be sitting in some of these great lectures, and, and all of a sudden this good news would come, and I'm looking around, how can we simply sit here taking notes? Why are we falling out of our seat? Because if what that guy just said is true, it's mm. not a game changer, it's an everything changer. Yeah. So I think for me, you know, I used a few minutes back that uh, illustration of uh, the gospel as, uh, as a great song, lyric, music, and dance. I think sometimes uh, in uh, the reform world, we can do a good job of uh, getting the lyric sheet right, but missing the music. And, and the music of the gospel is just really sitting in the implications. I mean, guys, listen, here we are. Let's just think for this a moment. So according to the gospel, according to Reformed theology, here, here's what we affirm on air right now. Because of the finished work of Jesus, well, first of all, Jesus didn't come to be my model. He came to be my substitute. He lived in my yeah. place, died in my place. And here's what this means according to the Scripture. To trust Christ means that all my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, in word, thought, and deed, and that right now we are robed in the righteousness of Jesus. God has declared us to be righteous in Christ. Judgment days come into the, from the future to the present. We're not afraid to die or live. We are citizens of the, of, of the kingdom of God. The new heaven and new earth is our destiny, co-heirs with Christ. I mean, guys, I could go on and on wow. and on, and if that, does not, if that does not generate in your heart and my heart joy and humility. Mm. See, to me, the greatest non-sequitur is arrogant Calvinist. Mm -hmm. I mean, how in the world, if you take our theology seriously, are we anything other than the most humble neighbors, the most uh, generous, the most uh, understanding of people that don't understand Reformed theology, because we were so filled with unbelief, but took the Spirit of God to rescue us from our lesser theologies to mm -hmm. believe what the Bible teaches is so much better than we could ever hope or imagine. So, mm -hmm. you know, it is uh, sad but true that sometimes we, we uh, in the Reformed community, can just be arrogant and smug when our theology is absolutely liberating, knee-buckling, and life-changing. Mm. Well, thank you, Scotty. Great, great answer, and uh, uh, incredibly inspiring, too. Yeah. Greg and I are just kind of here listening to you, and both of us, just our jaws are dropped, and yeah. it just... Soaking it in? Yeah. It's yeah. so good. Well, I mean, you can realize, I mean, literally, okay, whatever our tradition, if we just claim the authority of Scripture, if we just, if we slow down enough, if we become... If we, if we don't 
just read the Bible, but let the Bible read us, then, you know, let's just say if we were to go through the book of Ephesians and just simply study the prayers of Paul in one of his letters, where in the first chapter he prays that God would give us the power to know the hope to which we have been called, Mm. the glorious inheritance and the saints and the great power that's working in us who believe. Paul shows us it takes God's power to move us to experience what we already accept as our doctrine and dogma and creed. Mm. Later, third chapter, he prays that God would give us power to all the saints to know height, depth, and width, and breadth of the love of Jesus, a love that passes knowledge. So if we just existentially see what Paul's going through and say, there's a disparity between my heart and his heart, God, I want his heart. I mean, is that not a good place to begin? Mm. Just take the Bible seriously. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Amen. That's so good. Um, now, you, uh, as we mentioned earlier, you wrote um, a book that we want to talk about today, Everyday Prayers. Um, and these are just some of the most beautiful raw prayers um, that I've read in a long time. I'd like to read one of these um, for our audience. A prayer about resting my heart on Jesus. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Glorious Jesus, I don't think I've ever praised you for a phone with GPS before today. But as someone born with neither an internal compass nor a gyroscope, someone who labors to find his parked car, someone who walks out of a hotel room not remembering if the elevator is to the right or the left, I give you praise for the good gifts of modern technology. Jesus, in a far more profound way, I am praising you this morning for the scriptures, for they are constantly redirecting my wandering heart to its true destination, and I am praising you for the gospel. For the gospel is not only my GPS, but the car that gets me home. Indeed, Jesus, I'm resting my heart on you this morning. You are my destination and my delight. By God's grace, your death is is considered to be mine. When you died on the cross, God punished you for all my sins. When you were raised from the dead, I was raised with you and was given a whole new life and story. Right now, my life is safely hidden in you. For God has placed me in union with you, Jesus. I'm covered with your righteousness, completely forgiven and acceptable to God, and very much loved by him. I'm destined to become as lovely and as loving as you and to reign with your whole bride in the new heaven and new earth. There's no other story I'd rather be in, and yet until the day you return, I'll be tempted to think otherwise. No one and nothing else is worthy of my heart's adoration, affection, and allegiance. Only you. Though good things and bad things claim otherwise, I set my heart on you today, Jesus, as my ultimate good. Not my reputation, my children, my marriage, my stuff, my job. Not on my desire to get even, to get out, to be liked, to be happy, to be in control, Mm -hmm. to be safe. Jesus, you've done everything for me, and now I trust you to do everything in me that will bring you glory. In your matchless name I pray, amen. Mm. That is just so good. That's pretty good news, isn't it? It is. It's good news. Let me tell you about what was cool about that, and I mentioned this in the beginning of that book, it's just that I never sought out to write a book on prayers. I mean, who's going to say, 
read my prayers, everybody. So uh, <laughs> yeah. it goes back to Jack Miller, who just loved to pray so much. And Jack taught me the discipline of praying the scriptures. So before that, before those, some of those prayers even became the thought of the book, I was just in the season when my heart was a little dull and cold. So I thought, I need to start a new discipline of getting up in the morning. And because I am ADD, I thought, I'm just going <laughs> to... I'm going to read a scripture, and I'm going to write what comes to me. I'll write a prayer, not to send to anybody, just I'm going to, I'm going to, this will keep me focused. And start writing some of those, and then, you know, occasionally one would occur to me, and I think I'll send this to a struggling friend, and then kind of went from there, people wanting to pass this on, and then, um, yeah, it just uh, has become a daily discipline, and I'm still blogging at Gospel Coalition, writing new prayers. In fact, I've got a book coming out this August called Every Season Prayers, and oh, it's wonderful. not set up on the calendar like everyday prayers. It's uh, topical prayers, and there's about oh, 10 or 11 different kinds of prayers. Those those kind of prayers where I take a portion of Scripture and pray them, but then there's other kinds of prayers that uh, help uh, believers find voice. In fact, I've got one section uh, just on corporate uh, corporate prayers of confession for congregational worship that are shaped by the gospel. Well, we, we pray the gospel, then we confess our sins. So oh. anyway, prayer has just become something that because Jack marked me deeply with it, uh, I would go absolutely nuts and I'd be in the ditch and be probably buying a one-way ticket to Tarshish. Wow. Yes. Jack had never taught me how to pray. So. Wow. Wow. I, I think one of the things that really stands out to me with that beautiful prayer that Nathan just read, and, and obviously you 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 penned, Scotty, was um, I, uh, I to me I love prayers that are written because so often people say I don't know what to pray, and I say here's right. the here's a great thing you don't have to be original. Uh, there's right. prayers in Scripture that we can pray, obviously, yeah. and and right. and there's so many of those we can go to, or good books, and and I want to be careful. I say this, I uh, good friend of mine who's actually passed on, gone on to glory gave me a oh, copy years ago of Valley of Vision, some beautiful, oh, yeah. tremendous prayers in there. Yeah. What I really love, though, about uh, your book, Scotty, is when I pray Valley of Vision, and there's some great things that come out of that, believe me, yeah. I also know somewhere in the back of my mind, man, I don't talk like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just being – they're beautiful, but I always think, okay, when I'm done reading this – I'm going to go back and talk to my wife about where's the remote and hey, did you pay the utility bill this month or was I supposed to? Or, you, know, yeah. you have all those kind of regular down-to-earth conversations. Yeah. And right. honestly, I, I felt reading your book and reading these prayers, which I look forward to reading more, and I'm so glad you've got another one coming out, like, oh, this is much more because you're writing to a 21st century culture. Right. The right. same, I would say, theology, the great gospel-centeredness, but... Right the everyday language of it it's so accessible and when you read that just now nathan i'm like i love the line there's no other story yeah i'd rather be in yeah it just it well because nathan and i we, we talk a lot uh on our podcast we talk about everything under the sun scott we talk movies yeah. and books and shows and we're, we're, we love great stories like 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 so many people do and that is just such a relatable yeah there there isn't another story though yeah. all the great stories we talk about this is the one and to thank Jesus for letting us be in it, I, I just thank you for writing that, Scotty. It's so connected um, to well, everyday life. Well, you said life. something a minute ago that has been, you know, the the 
return on the investment for me is I still get up early and write those things. It's like invariably from somewhere in the world on any given day, someone emails me and says, how did you know? How did, how did, how were you able, were you inside my skin? Did you write this prayer for me? And it's just like anytime we can help either in our preaching or the songs we write or the songs we sing or the prayers we offer, the words we give, we can help people find voice you know a lot of us just we don't we lost our voice our voice got taken from us and when we see how much more honest and real the bible is we begin to say there is really nothing i cannot bring to god i'm never going to inform him as bad as i know it is he knows it's much worse and as good as i know the gospel is he knows it's a gazillion times better so yeah yeah, that's helping people find voice is a delight yeah Well, it's so good, too, because uh, Greg and I have talked about this so much. So many times pastors are either uh, just so idolized, like the life that they're living is so unattainable or so villainized, um, as uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, those stories um, tend to be brought to light through press and media and things like that, that rarely do you see something where, wow, here's, here's a man like I am, who is just as lost as I am. And, and he's just relying on God like I am. And and so that's just, what's so great about, about this is, you know, picking these up and reading, um, these prayers from a, a real man of God who, who's just as confused and lost as the rest of us, but is putting all his hope and faith in Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. No, I love what you were like uh, uh, earlier, Scott, when you said, well, I write about brokenness because I'm in touch with my own brokenness. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. You know, and it's so true. I always say um, to you know people, I don't know about you, I, my knowledge of my own weakness has definitely increased. I always say to the single yeah. guy who's, you know, yeah. he's walking with the Lord and he's excited about his faith and I love that and uh, he's not married yet. I say, hey, let me tell you something. You're going to get married and you're going to find out you're probably not doing as well as you were thinking. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. And, I mean, if we're going to tell Jesus's story in our marriage, then of course there's going to be a lot of exposure yes. and opportunity to groan and grow in grace. That oh, is a given. It's incredible. And I, that comes through your preaching and teaching so well that well, I, I think what's so great about the realness and earthiness of marriage is, well, here's a person that knows me, doesn't just know my Sunday morning self, and they know all of my warts. They see all of my shortcomings and my impatient spirit. They love me, and it takes you right back to Jesus. I love that. I think I've heard you talk about that before in John Absolutely. 4. You know, come see a man who knows everything I've ever done. The yeah. implication is, and he still loves me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when, when you think of that woman, it's just uh, such an incredible message. And, uh, wow. I yeah. feel like we just started so scratching good. the surface. I know, right? I know you're looking at the time, but it's so good. We we are winding down on time, but Scotty, um, just uh, before we sign off, um, Greg and I like to pride ourselves on the fact that we don't really throw out tips and tricks for the Christian out there, you know, the five yeah. simple steps. But if if there there's some advice that you could give to someone who's just in a broken spot right now, if there's something you could say to them, um, what, what would it be? You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that I don't have to reach into my bag of maxims, but just to say from scripture and first handedly that when 
Jesus said, come unto me, all of you that are weary and heavy laden. Mm. He really meant it. So just for those that might be listening into this episode, um, just to know that um, that the one that um, the one that knows our brokenness, our rebellion, our idolatry, where we've been agents of sin and victims of sin, uh, he really does call us. He subpoenas us. It's not even just an invitation. It's a subpoena to grace. Mm. And so, don't you know? I would not want anybody to ever think we're either beyond the need of God's grace or reach of God's grace. And I. Yeah. Fortunately, don't just say that as a theologian and pastor, someone that loves the Bible that can show you verses, but and I found it true. I keep finding it true. And uh, we, and, and just so come, come freely, you know, the, the glorious uh, declaration from Isaiah 55 of our Father beckoning to us, if you're thirsty, if you're mm-hmm. hungry, you know, bring the bankruptcy of your nothingness, and, and your soul will eat and be richly satisfied. I mean, that's what I'd love to leave yeah. this uh, wonderful chat with you two dear brothers with, just mm-hmm. God's invitation uh, to the thirsty, to the hungry. He's already picked up the path in Jesus. It's free. Let's come and let's keep on coming. Mm-hmm. Let's just, just, just leave it right there. Let's come and let's keep on coming to the river that will never run out, a river of grace. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. This has been so great. We are going to go ahead and uh, sign off now. Greg, Scotty. Well, thank you all for being, by the way, the spinal tap of gospel reality. (laughs) You've got an 11 on your dial. And I just want you to know, that didn't get lost on me. Oh, I love it. Thank you, you, Scotty. I think you just became my new favorite guest. Yes. (laughs) I I was at one point, dude, I'm not going to say it when Scotty was talking. I was like going to say, Scotty, would you please be my pastor? Um, Because I... uh, I'm glad to be your brother. That's for sure. Amen. Roam the new heaven and new earth together. Yes, yes, amen to that. What a day that'll be. <laughs> All right, we just rock the Casbah. Franklin style. Thank you again for listening to these Go to 11, an unchurchy conversation about everyday faith. Once again, please make sure you like, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you ever find yourself in the Forest Hill, Maryland area, please feel free to stop by at 135 Industry Lane, and you can get all of our service times and information at ChristFC.org. These go to 11.